Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is episode 149 of the podcast. Welcome. Glad that you are here. Today we're talking about fishing in the final weeks of fall. Inevitably, when this thing shows up on your podcast catcher, it's going to maybe have a more alliterative title than that. But that's what we're talking about, fishing in the last weeks of fall. Now, depending on where you live, uh, the final weeks of fall aren't the same as as other places in the country. But uh, this is being recorded in early September, and it is going to have some relevance for you either immediately or in the coming months. And actually, to be fair, like if you catch this thing in the middle of the winter or you catch this thing in early spring, there are going to be a lot of parallels with late fall fly fishing and early spring fly fishing. Now, the water is totally different. Uh, conditions are very different. The, f- the fishing is, is very, very different. But there are some parallels. So uh, this isn't going to be something that if you re- you know listen to this in November or December, you're going to have to wait 10 months to employ. There's still going to be some tactics that have value for you uh, in, in the springtime. But before I get to the the meat of of the podcast, I want to mention a few things, a couple quick administrative details. First and foremost, uh, next week is episode 150. Can you believe that? That's pretty impressive. I I am uh, impressed that you have stuck with me more than I have spoken 150 times, to be completely honest. But as I have done on the 50th and the 100th episode, I'm going to have my guests on. This is not an interview-based podcast, but in those special milestone episodes... I do bring uh, some guests on, and if you listened to those before, then uh, you either are going to be excited or you're going to roll your eyes and wait until episode 151, but I would suggest tuning in to episode 150 for this very exciting uh, podcast. Uh, Secondly, episode 151 comes after 150, if you know your math, and I will be taking that podcast to answer and engage with listener and reader questions and feedback. So if you have a question about small stream fly rods, if you have a question about fly fishing in South Central Pennsylvania, if you have a question about gear, if you have a question about tactics, if you have a question about barbecue or theology or some of the other things that I've talked about in the podcast, shoot me an email, matthew at castingacross.com, or if you follow me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, use direct messaging and get a hold of me that way. Um, if it doesn't make the podcast, then I will react or interact with it in some way, shape, or form. Uh, anyway, so I would appreciate those. I've got some, but like I said, if there's something really good that comes along, even if it's 11th hour, then it'll make it to the podcast, but that's in two weeks from now. And third and final thing before we get into fall fly fishing, 
is sponsors. So uh, we had a four-week run with a previous sponsor. We have a new sponsor in the coming weeks that I'm really excited to bring on to the podcast. So I'll be talking about them when they hop on. But uh, that's something that uh, it's just a great way for me to kind of change up the way that the podcast works and it's not interfering too much. So I'll stop interfering now and we'll get into fall fly fishing. So when you think of fall fly fishing, I think one of the first things that at least I think of is just the change in the aesthetics. The change in the aesthetics, uh, you know, the, the the trees start to change, just things start to get a little bit cooler, um, things slow down in a lot of ways, but I actually think you can use that slowdown to your advantage. You can use the, the fall slowdown to your advantage, and I see that happening in a few different ways. You have a pretty big swing in the fall in temperatures, in water temperatures and air temperatures. And obviously the air temperature and just the ambient temperature of the sun coming up is going to ultimately be what influences the water temperature, especially if you're fishing shallow creeks with dark bottoms. If that sun is up, even on a fall day, that water is going to heat up significantly because of that uh, that that sunlight that comes in and then the ambient uh, temperature of the air. And so what that means is you're going to have fish that are going to have a swing in temperatures that is going to be a little bit more, more significant in this season than it was previously in the summertime and that it will be in the wintertime. Um, and the, the, the wintertime temperature fluctuations occur when the sun comes up and, and you know, it does get warmer in the daytime than it does in the nighttime, but not to the same degree as it hap- that happens in the fall. In the summertime, that temperature swing happens uh, really from night into day, not necessarily when the sun is higher in the sky. Now, again, there's lots of variables, stream side cover, depth of the, the water that you're fishing, what that substrate is even made of and really where your water's coming from. Spring creeks are going to act completely different than tailwaters, which are going to act completely different from freestone streams. But all I'd say, kind of by and large, a lot of your rivers are going to warm up, not first thing in the morning, but as that sun begins to peek over those trees and begins to have an effect because of that heat and that sunlight on those waters. And I have found that that is an excellent time to begin to target bigger fish. Now, all the fish are going to turn on, but I find that bigger fish are going to become more opportunistic maybe later in the day than they would in those off-season. So, again, these are generalizations because fish in every creek act very differently, but you you know, know about fishing kind of nocturnally for big fish. They don't get big because they make mistakes. They don't get big because they sit out in the open. A lot of times, especially um, piscivorous, carnivorous uh, fish like brown trout, big brown trout are going to become nocturnal. But I found that I see a lot more of these bigger fish finding their ways into uh, the, the daylight in these transitionary seasons, so in the fall and in the spring. And I think that in the fall, they're, they're probably, you know, based on their little fish brain and biology, what they're paying attention to is the fact that they know things are getting colder and so they're being more opportunistic. And so you can take advantage of that and be opportunistic as well. Now, I'm going to throw a little caveat in there, and this is kind of the, the second thing that uh, I, I want to mention as it relates to fly fishing in the fall, but I'll come back to targeting uh, bigger fish and targeting fish in those transitionary times here in a, in, a, in a moment, and that is being opportunistic does not mean fishing over reds, all right? And I think this is a, a thing that the entire fly fishing world, 
regardless of your position on politics, regardless of your position on coronavirus, regardless of your position on Tenkara. I think we can all get behind the sentiment that we should avoid fishing on reds. Now, are there opportunities and times and species where maybe it's a great idea to target those if you want to get this fish out of there? Absolutely. But when we're talking about wild fish, and especially when we're talking about native fish, we're talking about fish in a river in which we're trying to maintain or improve the populations, then fishing on reds is not a good idea. Those fish are either uh, about to lay their eggs or acting in some protective manner over those eggs. And so you don't want to pull those adult spawning age fish off of those reds. Um, and maybe I'm preaching to the choir, maybe you know all about this, but I think it, it bears mentioning. You know, what does a red look like? A red is a circular or more oval shaped patch of stream bottom that is usually made up of, for just from, from a visual perspective, of a different color uh, of rock. And the reason for that is because the fish, uh, the trout in particular, are going to use their tails and the bottoms of their body to rub away the silt and maybe move away some of the smaller rocks and some of the vegetation so that they have direct contact with uh, rocky uh, stream bottom in order to lay their eggs. Um, that's just the way they've been designed, and so the, the ladyfish lays her eggs, the boy fish comes and drops his uh, sperm on there, and then different species do different things. They might hang out a little bit longer, have a second cycle, uh, but by pulling those fish off of those reds, or by, uh, and keeping them, now that you've taken a spawning-sized and aged fish out of that ecosystem and you might say well that's a big fish that's what we're going for that's true but again we're talking about ecosystems and streams where you want those fish in there because those fish have made it to that size really by by good luck they haven't been pulled out by an angler they haven't been eaten by an ha a heron they haven't been eaten by a, a muskrat and so those are the kind of fish that you want to survive I mean, I'm not opposed to keeping fish, uh, but you know, the big spawning size fish, they make for great trophies, but we don't do that as much anymore. And they don't make for great eating, but what they do make for is producing lots of those 12 to 14 inch fish that are good eating if that is really what you want to do. Um, additionally, catching the fish and throwing it back isn't necessarily the best thing. I, I am not a believer that every fish that gets caught and gets released is now destined to die and to not return to normal fish behavior, but you're not gambling with with the the, the right you know kind of kind of money when you're, you're doing this um, it's it's a dangerous proposition and you're probably more likely than not and studies show this you're going to interfere with that fish's behavior and whether it has already laid eggs once or already um, mated once mated you know talking about fish mating spawning spawned once um, in, in that spot it's now not going to go back to that spot or if it, it, it hasn't done it yet it's just spent all its energy and effort making that red um, or protecting that red, you know, you're going to exhaust it beyond what that fish should be exhausted uh, to, to whichever point it should be exhausted to. So you may say, well, this sounds like a lot of, of, of talking about not catching fish. Well, that's just the, 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 one of the sacrifices that we have to make if we want these streams to be healthy. And so identify these, these spots, see where they are. These are not the fish that you should take advantage of. These are not the opportunities that you should jump on. There are other fish in that stream that you definitely can target. There are spots where fish are just not able to make reds, and those are gonna, that's perfectly good holding water, deep pools. 
incredibly shallow riffles. Now, can fish make reds there? Yes, but there's a lot of spots where they can't. Just slower water with deep undercut banks. Those are the kinds of spots that you can target year-round and not feel like you're going to be taking advantage of a spawning fish. And you know what? If you do see a, a red, then just tread lightly and walk around it and don't, don't walk through it. You uh, can not necessarily smash up all the eggs, but you can definitely dislodge some. Real quick, uh, kind of, um, you know, calling myself out. I was doing a stream survey a few years ago, uh, doing a macrovertebrate uh, survey, and I'm in the stream, and I think you know, there is absolutely no spawning fish in this stream. Uh, there, there's primarily stocked rainbow trout, um, and it was in the fall. I'm thinking this is not gonna, you know, I, I've, I'm not gonna interfere with anything well sure enough i do one of my first macrovertebrate uh, studies and there are so many trout eggs in my scene i think what did i do what what did i step on and i went up on a bridge and kind of looked down and, and and sure enough right where i was doing it, i was in the tail end of what was a pretty good size red it was actually just so large that i didn't even see it because of, of the perspective i was i was walking uh into the water with so Again, you know, this doesn't make me the worst person in the world. If you do, this doesn't make you the worst person in the world. It's just something to be aware of. So all I have to say, don't take advantage or opportunity of those fish. But if you're fishing in a river system here on the East Coast where there are rainbow trout, those are fish that you're going to be able to go after with great gusto because by and large they're going to fall and uh, spawn in the, in the springtime. Now the, the brook trout and the brown trout, then you're going to want to give them a wider berth. Um, you know, but this is something that you need to just know your local watershed. And a lot of times your fish and game agency, uh, your trout limited chapter, um, other fly fishing groups, they're going to have that information so that you can feel prepared to go and, and uh, fish and wade safely. But all that being said, that transitionary time is a great time to target larger fish. Um, they are going to be out, and as long as you're not fishing in a spot you shouldn't be fishing in, then you are able to target those fish. Now, another auxiliary benefit of that is that you don't have to wake up super early. Now, can you fish super early? Yes, uh, and are you, you're going to be able to catch fish, and you can catch fish first thing on frosty fall mornings. But I often find that whether it be fishing streamers for big fish or fishing hatches, uh, you're going to have a lot more success by and large, if you wait until that sun comes up, not just up so that things are light, but really starts to peak over the trees and you, it, it's the, the water has the benefit of getting warmed up by the sun. So that's my, my kind of big first thing for, for you to think about with a, a large excursus regarding spawning fish in the middle. The second thing that I want to bring up, I guess a third really, the second segment, a third bit of advice is fall is a great time to use jig hooks and to fish flies with a uh, an upturned hook. So most traditional trout flies, nymphs, dries, streamers, you name it, have the hook bend where it curves down and then comes back towards you underneath the body of the fly. Very, very simple. A jig hook is just like a jig in bass fishing or crappie fishing where the hook comes up over the top and points back at you. Now, why does this matter what season you're fishing? Well, if you are fishing in fall and the leaves are doing what leaves do in the fall and falling, especially if you're fishing over riffles where it's a little bit slower or you are the, the leaves are actively falling, then you are going to get hung up quite a bit. 
Now, if you're fishing a stream and you're dragging it through all sorts of leaves, it, it, you're going to be in trouble whether it's on top or the bottom. But I think it actually reduces the amount of leaves you get hung up on if you have that hook point up. Now, two quick anecdotes of why this matters. One, I was uh, fishing a mountain stream, and I had I don't think I've ever gotten snagged up in the stream before, primarily because there's mostly pine trees around it, but there it go, flows through a meadow stretch. And it's a great, great stretch because it slows down, it gets wider, but there are some rocky, shallow pools. But those are the kind of place where some fish like to to, to hold up. And this is um, kind of post-spawn, and so the, the, the fish are kind of getting hunkered down for winter, and I'm targeting larger fish. But I was fishing a... Uh, a nymph and just trying to pulling it through these bigger bigger pools and I was using a bigger like Helgermite pattern so a big chunky like maybe size eight uh, uh, long-bodied nymph and I was hooking leaf after leaf after leaf because I wanted my fly down I wanted to thread it through these boulders in, uh, in in these smaller pools, I want it to to bounce down these little these little um, plunges and go to where those fish are hanging out and, and taking advantage of that the midday sun and the and the bug activity that gets triggered by it. But I was getting hung up so frequently on small leaves, on big leaves, and uh, losing flies on on leaves that were kind of matted together. Now this might sound like a unique situation, but it could be something for you to consider if you're fishing somewhere that there's a lot of leaves in the water. Now. Uh, other story, there's a great slow stretch of water on a Pennsylvania Spring Creek that I love to fish. It was it was almost stagnant. It was so incredibly slow. It got very, very wide, very, very deep, but uh, the water was cold and the fish would hang up on a far bank. And there were fish that were so active. Again, this time of day, I love to fish, uh, probably in those couple hours following sunrise. And I'm seeing them, you know, chase stuff. I'm seeing them rise, but I'm wanting to target some of these larger uh, rainbows that I know are holding up in this, uh, in some of these these deeper pockets next to the stream bank. And so I'm casting a streamer, and I cast it, and you know, stripping it, just giving it little strips. But every time that thing would would strip, it would hang up on a leaf that's kind of drifting in those uh, the, that surface area and a, and a couple inches down. The fly is, the the line's landing on top of a leaf, and it's not allowing my hook to go my fly to go down. Um, and every time I strip it, it, that line isn't sinking down with the fly, and it's just sitting on top of the leaf and it's pulling it up. And then it, uh, you know when I try to pull it th over the the leaf, the hook gets hung on it. It just if you're frustrated with me explaining this, imagine how frustrating it was fishing this way. And so a quick solution in that situation was to throw in a clouser minnow, a little bit more weight, and a hook point that rode up. And so if I had to pull my line and leader over a leaf, then it rode over it and dropped right back down. But again, that uh, heavier uh, dumbbell eye, even fishing for trout, it's probably like a, I don't know, size uh, six or eight, totally reasonably sized fly. In, uh, I think that time of year, actually, I was fishing like a, a, a brown and orange, almost like a crayfish uh, pattern. And it darted down into the water and it pulled my line and leader over those leaves a lot easier. And so there's a, there was a couple other benefits to fishing that pattern, but I think having that upturned hook was another benefit also getting hung up a lot less on leaves, both with nymphs as well as with streamers in the fall using a pattern like that. Thirdly, again, really, fourthly, uh, the last thing I'm going to say is watch your approach. Watch your approach in the fall. If you've been fishing a stream and your approach angle is something that you have really dialed in 
all of springtime, all of summer, early fall. Now, as fall kind of kicks in, you want to be aware of your approach angle. I think that the thing that is much more important than uh, what color you're wearing is your silhouette. Are you casting a silhouette? Um, casting a shadow is always bad, but casting a silhouette can be almost as dangerous. I think that uh, shadow, then silhouette, and then your color that you're wearing, I would put those in, in that order, and I would put uh, shadow and silhouette well over the color because your, your backdrop is going to obfuscate you in a lot of situations. But again, in the fall, what happens? Leaves fall. Bushes thin out things change and so you're not and, and, and the sun is often lower in the sky so you're going to have that silhouette present much more starkly than you're going to have happen in the summertime and so just be cognizant of that what's behind you what are you backed up against what uh, was an excellent approach angle throughout the majority of the year now might be an awful approach angle because there's nothing uh, blending you in with your surroundings. So whether you're wearing bright orange, which I would recommend doing in the fall based upon where you fish and live because um, there's people with guns doing good, fun things with you know deer and grouse and turkey and whatnot. Um, I wear a lot of bright orange because a lot of places I fish are where people hunt, and it's never a problem as long as I have the right approach angle and I make sure there's something behind me and that my shape and my silhouette is broken up by the foliage or just the topography of the stream. You get lower, you try to find a, a, a tree, you know, a, a copse of, of, of trees that have larger trunks so that your silhouette is, is not being cast in that fish's peripheral vision. Uh, I've said it before, and I think it's really, really wise. Get to be familiar with how a fish sees, uh, what its cone of vision looks like, and then how the refraction from the water impacts that based on the fish's depth as as well as the, the water's motion. That's just a great simple thing that is definitely not podcast material. It's looking at pictures online or in a book material. But if you can have that in your head and then your approach is based on not casting a shadow, which is year-round, um, and then not casting a silhouette, which increases as the foliage uh, dissipates, then you're going to be able to get into a position where you're able to ca be as close to the fish as possible and cast without spooking them or, or causing, causing a problem. So three relatively simple things, things that have applicability year-round, but especially in the fall, these are definitely things to think about. So uh, there's other fall podcasts. If you look in the back catalog, there's lots of fall articles on castingcross.com, but it's just a wonderful time of the year. I think that uh, fishing in the fall in a lot of ways is more fun than fishing in the summer. One, you're not hot. Two, you don't have to worry about stressing the fish out as long as you're avoiding them when you're, you're spawning. And three, fall is just the best season. It really is. It's an objective fact that is inarguable. So fly fish in the fall. Hopefully you get out and you can use some of these things as you go on your adventures. This week on castingacross.com, the first article is called Fly Fishing Towards the Illogical. Fly Fishing Towards the Illogical. This was a fun article to write. I went fishing with a friend who has fished before but not fly fished before and definitely hasn't fly fished for mountain brook trout uh, high up uh, on waterfalls before. And he asked some really good questions, and me verbalizing those things made me realize that some of the stuff I do is crazy. And if you fly fish, some of the stuff you do is probably crazy. 
but it totally makes sense to you and it might make sense to me but when we say it out loud that's when it starts to get a little bit weird um, and so this explored that this uh, talks about that phenomenon and I think it's good to think about and it's it's good to maybe rejoice in and celebrate Wednesday's article is called Costa Untangled good for you and the ocean good for you and the ocean so I love Costa Del Mar sunglasses uh, it's a thing I've talked about on the podcast that I think that you should spend money on sunglasses and fly line and wading boots because all of those things are going to improve your situation, your fishing, your safety, your presentation in ways that so many other pieces of gear can't even come close. And Costa Del Mar sunglasses, I, I like for one reason, head and shoulders above all others, and that is the clarity and the durability of their glass lenses. You pay for it. But most premium sunglasses, you know, you're only going to be paying between $50 and $75 more to upgrade to the Costas with the, the glass lenses. So I think that's well worth it. And this most recent series, the Untangled Collection, these frames are made from recycled fishing nets. So uh, I mentioned the article, you know, I'm not virtue signaling by wearing these things. I'm wearing them because they are the Santiago's is the name of the, the frames that I'm wearing in the green lightwave glass, which is my favorite lens that Costa makes. I'm wearing these because they have ridiculously enormous coverage. I'm beyond the point of caring what style is. I want coverage. I want to be able to look straight ahead and not see any frame. I want to look to my left and right, up and up and down, and get that coverage of the lens, not the frame. And as much as I like my Fantail Pros, which is kind of my, my normal fishing glasses, these Santiago's have even more coverage kind of look like I'm, you know, wearing goggles, but I don't care. I want that coverage and I don't want any glare coming up from the bottom and the sides. But I, I write about this collection of sunglasses and how they came to be and Burio, the company that is providing Costa with this recycled fishing net plastic in this article called Costa Untangled. This week's recommendation on the podcast. It's another app. You'd think I spent all my time on the phone the way I'm suggesting all these apps. I recently talked about the National Park Service app. Now I'm talking about the National Forest app. It's called National Forest Explorer. Now this is totally different, and it isn't feature-rich, but it's a great tool to have at your disposal if you want to plan and you or you want to be spontaneous. Um, you're going to get a lot more resources if you have a map and a guidebook of a natural a national forest. National forests are like um, the uh, you know crazy hermit uncle of the National Park Service. Uh, national forests have so much more going on. They're so much more wild, but uh, you're going to need some good resources to, to dive into them. But the app, the Explore National Forest app, is a great place to start. It's a fun thing that I like to, to mess around with when I'm killing time, when I'm uh, you know trying to fall asleep at night, download a couple of maps from a couple different forests, whether they're close to me or they're far away, uh, check out some of the historical stuff, and just explore. And so if you live close to a national forest and you want to know more about it, this is a great first place and kind of a great auxiliary resource. Again, you're going to need to get a map, you're going to need to get a guidebook, you're going to need to use kind of a more robust website, but this is a great first place to start. So you just put a national forest in your app store whatever platform you use i'll also put a link to the national forest app in the show notes of this podcast page on castingacross.com thanks for listening to the casting across fly fishing podcast please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on itunes then head to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people places and things that go into the pursuit of fish mm-hmm.